Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And good morning. This is Greg Hutchins, his pal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Greg. Glad you're online. I got to, I, I, I was, I'm getting ready to put a, a webinar together uh, as we're the time we're recording this next week, I'm, I've got a, a webinar on a topic of something that uh, Carl and I kind of ran across is, well, how do we go about picking what to do for a particular problem or situation or experiment or whatever? And I thought, well, you've got a bunch of background in quality and quality methods, plus the risk and risk management stuff. And I'm sure you're going to tell me it's all risk-based, which is exactly right. <laughs> um, but the one of the things that is, I don't think, talked about very much, in, in at least in our literature, is, well, how do you know what tool or technique to use. So if you're helping a team develop a, a product or you're helping a, a pr production line and make improvements for their uptime, up how do you, and you've done the risk assessment, you've done the triage, you feel that this is the, the important, it needs to be done. Um, but I'm thinking if like a major question is, is it good enough? Is it reliable enough that we can ship it or we can turn the line on or that we can call success for our efforts? How do we know? And this is just an example of just a simple question. How do we know it's ready to go? It's reliable enough. And without getting into the details of how to do that, there's obviously lots of ways to do it. You could go from straight, just guess. It's like, I, yeah, I think it's good. Put your finger up in the air and go, uh, the wind's blowing this way. It must be good. Just, or a flat out, what do we call it in our industries? Uh, engineering judgment, you know, based on our experience, we think it, we hope it's good enough or that kind of thing. Or we could do some calculations or we can run an experiment. We could do some more detailed modeling. We could do characterization. We could do a longitudinal study that takes forever. You know, we could do a wider range of different tools and techniques to bring information to that question. Um, but in the moment, I find that I just go, oh, this is what we should do. And so I'm, 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 I've taken a step back from that. And well, how the hell do I do that? How do I know that that's the right tool and, and that I'm not missing something? So that's the question. And then I think a parallel to that is what I find with so many clients is that, well, this is the way we always have done it. You know, this is the metrics we use. This is the techniques we use. This is the modeling we use. This is the, we always use our chamber to run these tasks. And I was like, why? <laughs> you know, the product, the question you're working on may or may not be informed with the results of that. You know, you're, I'm running two samples and I'm going to exercise them 20 times. And okay, so. <laughs> why <laughs> why are you doing that and i find so many people uh not able to answer that question but i think they're they're related is one is you do it before you start into the lab and the other one you do it you know uh when i come in and say why are you doing that uh which is 
obviously too late. But anyway, I, I, I figured I'd bounce that off you and see if you had any ideas. Why is it, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Is it a thinking problem or is it a, I have no idea. But uh, I'm not sure if that frames the problem or not. But uh, what do you think? Uh, what do I think? So let me, I'm going to sort of um, approach this, not attack, but approach this question differently and probably pose more questions. So when I'm basically in a situation, the situation can be a problem. It could be a challenge. You know, it could be a change issue. It can be, you know, I'm confronted with something. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I look at is who's responsible for the problem and how are they approaching it? it that's almost, to me, more important than what problem are we solving? Well, it, the, the scenario that I just outlined is usually the program manager or the ops manager said, hey, Fred, go figure this out. I need to know. <laughs> and go away. Don't bother me with the details. <laughs> well, you know, when you, somebody says solve the problem, there's a lot of aspects to it. And first of all, is it, do they, are you going to react or are you going to respond? If you react, it's going to be a knee jerk. What works in the past or has worked in the past, you're going to use in the present. Why? Uh, basically, some form of confirmation bias. You know, you've seen the problem before. You do a knee jerk. You know, this is the solution. Yeah. People who, I mean, if, especially me, if, if I'm coming into a problem, I basically take a step back and I want to see how people respond to it. And what questions do they ask? Because to me, that's more important than just simply the answer. You know, an answer to a problem that's incorrect is basically an incorrect solution. Yeah, it's also a lot of wasted time and resources. But that's what happens when we basically become reactive in our responses, right? This tool, FEMA, is used in the past. I've seen this problem. FEMA worked. I'm going to use FEMA or HALT or whatever tool we're going to use. Right. But it's really the quality of the question that I think is important. Are people responding? Are they actually stepping back and looking at the entire context of the problem? Who's impacted? Who are the stakeholders? Is the problem basically a point problem? Is it a process problem? Is it a singularity? Is it a enterprise problem? Again, depending upon the lens that you're looking at the problem and the questions you're asking, you're gonna get different forms of answer. And by the way, that each answer, if you're looking at it from a cost lens, or risk lens or a schedule lens, it's correct. But the more you can step back and look at the entire picture and ask those questions, who's the stakeholder? Why is this problem important? Uh, what problem are we really trying to solve? And then take a deep breath and then talk to people. I think that's one way that we look at the problem. Because what, you know, what I've seen is, especially in quality, uh, we have our seven tools, you know, SPC, you know, uh, Pareto's, whatever. Yeah. And basically, people who look at the problem transactionally or from a product perspective will find the tool. And the tool quite often will provide a solution. But is that the right solution <laughs> to the right problem? Um, sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. So what I try to do is just simply take a step back and say, okay, what's the bigger picture? What's the landscape? Who's impacted? Why are we trying to solve it? And then I figure out what's the right lens to look at the problem. Um, 
for many years, I've had one lens, which is the risk lens, but there is the cost, there's the reliability, there's the obvious quality lens. And maybe the solution isn't through the quality lens, it's through a, a project cost lens. So I try to contextualize the problem, understand it, and then come up with a proposed solution that I discuss with a lot of people. I'm just thinking, I usually run into that kind of discussion when I go away and somebody says, will this last? You know, and I go away and I say, well, if we spend a half million dollars and run all these characterization tests with 4,000 samples, uh, we'll know. And with this kind of confidence, this kind of, we use this exotic uh, accelerated test algorithm and do all this stuff. And they mm-hmm. look at me going, no, 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 you don't understand. I need an answer in two weeks with two samples. That's all you get. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Now it's time-based or it's cost-based or it's, but it's, I'm interpreting what you're saying is as, as the question comes up or the problem comes up that needs solving is scope it. What's the, you know, what is, and it's something I've learned in consulting is the, the presenting question or problem is almost never the real problem is somebody will come to me and ask, how many samples do I need? <laughs> right. And he says, well, that almost always is not the problem that they're trying to solve. It's, it's much, they're trying to do what they normally do and they know they need lots of samples and they want to figure out how to maximize that or minimize that or whatever but they haven't looked at, well, what's the, if, when I ask, well, what are you trying to do? What, how well do you need to get this answer created or what's your constraints and timeline and, and who's it for and why and all those kinds of questions. So I can understand mm-hmm. what is it we're trying to do? What trade-offs related to sample size matter? Is this a $10 problem or a million dollar problem? And that basically comes out to a magnitude. It's the really the questions you're asking as opposed to the solution that's important. Yeah, well, I could crank out a, my favorite sample size is 42, <laughs> by the way, which I, is the <laughs> ultimate answer. But a lot of people, the younger generation hadn't seen those books, so they, they don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and mine, by the way, is 10 or 30. So <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, um, I've run into people that say, well, how many samples do I need? And almost always when I ask, almost by a knee-jerk reflective response is, well, how many samples are you allowed to have? (laughs) You know, (laughs) how many can you get? Well, I can only get three. Well, then three is your sample size. Well, the the test won't be useful. Well, then don't do the test. (laughs) You know? (laughs) (laughs) We've we've heard the expression, you know, a hammer in search of a nail. Yeah. Sample size is the same type of question uh, that we see in quality a lot. What type of sample size do we need? That's basically the hammer that is being used or the filter or the lens for a lot of what we would call quality questions. Yeah. You know, and again, that's a point type of question, like a point solution. It's not looking at the larger picture. Well, I, yeah, and I've run into that where it was a, there was an interesting team uh, making servers. Uh-huh. and. And their their company policy was that if something fails in the field and caused them pain, you know, it was a a, a 
uh, an escalated event, I think is what they called it or something like that, where it became, oh, we need to stop production and fix this and do that kind of thing. They uh-huh. figure that they're going to create a test that would identify if that issue is in the next design, next product going out. And over time, over about a decade, they ended up with like, I want to say 42, I don't remember the exact number, but it was a huge number of tests. And it it was consuming in a tremendous amount of resources to run all of these tests in a meaningful way. And so the the group that was in charge of all this testing, I think it was the quality group, was like, we're getting buried. And we're, you know, we're, we, and now we're on the hook because we're between, you know, the, the development team and, and shipping and they're keep piling on more requirements for testing. And we never find anything. None of these things ever exist. You know, once we solve it, it's solved mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. design. And no designer wants to be called out at the last minute with the mistake leading to this known failure to occur. So it just doesn't happen. And I, I, hmm, sounds like your development team is paying attention to lessons learned and, and you go, yeah, <laughs> you know, but we're, we're, spit, but they want us to prove that it's not there. And they're like, well, that's difficult to do in the best of circumstances. So you're, you know, probably stretched pretty thin and goes, yeah, you're saying it, but it's like, how do you, you didn't, create a, an exit strategy how when do you stop doing something that's adding little to no value and they didn't include a, a culture of you know we don't use that material at all anymore and this test is a, the testing some feature or flaw that's unique to that material set or that design feature there was no trigger to say don't do that anymore and in the philosophy at the at the company level, the senior management was, well, we'll put a, a test on it. We'll make sure it never happens again. And that was, and then, all right, that's all go away. <laughs> like, okay. Well, that's a good example. So my little story is a Kappa story, corrective action, preventive action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Many years ago, we had a client, not many, 10 years ago, we had a client who basically every time they did a Kappa did the same thing over and over and over again, which essentially is scrap and replace the product. Yep. Very costly. Sometimes if they had to scrap it and they had to go in the field because it was a field failure and basically pull, <laughs> pull products yep. that could be many, many, well, in this case, yeah, hundreds of thousands of dollars, not a million, but yeah, hundreds of thousands. Yeah. But every year, just like clockwork, there would be a kappa, and they'd do the same type of thing. They never once thought about going upstream <laughs> into manufacturing, manufacturing, engineering, design, and product management to figure out what's the root cause. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you know, <laughs> inspection, essentially first-level supervisor, non-technical, but very smart, very committed didn't have the moxie or the uh, engineer, you know, the, the, the didn't have the whole view of the value stream, you know. From- yeah, they're presented with a, a problem. There's products are failing. And, and so, well, we don't have a way to solve this, so we're going to just scrap it. And, yep. and that just became routine. And yeah, that's what we do. And that becomes the culture of the shop, yeah. you know, fortunately. And, you know, every year there's a, you know, I'm looking at the budget. There's probably 200, 300,000 bucks for scrap. 
And they could have very easily, if they had the knowledge, the perspective, and the approval, it's a cultural issue, to mm-hmm. go upstream to fix the problem, as opposed to, <laughs> to replacing it you know, in the field. <laughs> well, as opposed to a culture where anybody on the line can stop the production line in or in the design, they can call it out and say, hey, huh? this isn't right. And, and I actually saw that in a factory. It was in Texas. And, and, and <laughs> I asked, what, these are not emergency stop buttons. What are these? And he says, well, they're connected to that. But that's a shut down the line for a quality issue. A Kanban cord. Yeah. Yeah. And it was. Or, yeah. And I said, does it get used? He goes, yeah, every now and then. When it's in, but if you if you hit that button, you better have your act together because the general manager is coming down to to listen to it, to allocate resources to get it solved as quick as possible. And he says, yeah, you know, once a month or so, we run into something that somebody spots and, you know, eight times out of 10, it's something that we need to fix. And it's prevented problems going to the field, prevented scrap downstream. And, and it's it's... Yeah, sometimes it's not really a problem, and but it gets scrutinized and, and examined and the questions and the concerns are taken seriously. And so it's become a virtuous circle. He says, instead of having operators just be blind and ship it, uh, they have good eyes and ears and intelligence. Let them help us make a better product. And, and it became a completely different culture than what you see in a lot of factories. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. But it was the cultural part. Cultural part is such a big deal out of it. But if you don't have the um, saying, you know, this isn't right, and then walk upstream and go talk to the director of engineering, going, "Now look, <laughs> you really can't make us, you know, a, a good." viable product when you have blind connectors that I have to use a dental mirror to even see if it's, you know, (laughs) even close to being connected or not. You know, I I actually ran into a product like that. And then, you know, the first thing we did is, and it was the quality or the production team that was complaining about it. And they hired a consultant to walk across the hall to the development team and tell them about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a funny story. Yeah. And I was like, why, why didn't you walk over there? And it was exactly what you just talked about is they didn't have the, not moxie is probably the right word, but it's, it's, they didn't, they, they weren't feeling safe in their culture to go do that. And I think that's one reason why consultants are brought in is to create a level of safety or an independent third party who can ask the right questions, who can ask uh, the point of view issues, right? Who can, Mm -hmm has the perspective of not only the problem, the point problem in front of us, but the process problem, maybe the programmatic problem, maybe the enterprise perspective. Because if you look at things from top down, from the enterprise perspective, it's gonna be a lot different from bottom looking up. Yeah, yeah. and it it's unfortunate. I, I just ran one of the articles that I got in my, <laughs> I need to read this article is, um, how do you, I mean, a lot of people spend a lot of money um, marketing and telling other people how great they are. I mean, that last design review I went to was more of a marketing ploy to encourage employees how great their product design was, instead of a review saying, you know, we got to fix this stuff. <laughs> we got here's areas of concern. They didn't, they didn't talk about any of that stuff. It's like, what's the point? You know, it's it's more like a campaign rally than it was anything else. And it might have a purpose. I don't know exactly, but I was like, this is not what I was expecting. 
but the um the the idea of being safe to say hey there's an issue here or a problem is lacking in so many companies in so many areas um but yep. so, but that speaks to that that's the the where the solution comes from it's it's there might be a tactical error or there might be you know one person that really believes this is the way to do it and it's the only solution and they're not looking at the impact say on manufacturing is that that one case i ran into mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and then the eventual quality of their product <laughs> but structurally you know i've railed against procurement teams i don't know for how long is there 10 percent year over year cost reduction and it's like okay great you can save a couple hundred thousand dollars by forcing your suppliers to provide uh, components and materials cheaper the ramification is is that we end up with a higher field failure rate and the cost per failure is this and here's the number of failures and so that's 300 million dollars of failures <laughs> so i realize that you don't get scored on the increase in warranty but your boss does and I, and I was talking to this one VP about it, and I was like, but your boss does. Do you want me to go talk to your boss, or do you want to bring up a brand new idea of how they could really save money? You know, do you want to be the hero? <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering how that worked. <laughs> um, I, they didn't invite me back. <laughs> yeah, and that's one reason. Again, it's fear factor. You know, people don't want to... Um, Raise difficult issues or confrontational issues. You know, they want the status quo. Yeah. But sometimes it costs you a lot of money. And somebody's got to say, hey, look, you're leaving money on the table here for no reason. Come on. <laughs> it's nothing to do with reliability. But if you're paying for a gazillion tests that provide little to no information that anybody actually needs, mm-hmm. um, you know, why? Why are you spending all this money for such little information content and valuable content and on the other hand you're creating this server that has got this brand new interconnect system or new uh, design technology in it and you don't have time to test that so Mm -hmm. it's going to go to the field it's going to fail now all of a sudden you have time to develop a test to evaluate it (laughs) and and then you'll do that forever but you've already designed it out so it's like (laughs) Don't in is sometimes I think it's that lens part is you come in and say, you know, I can walk from door to door to door, whereas the people in the in the system rarely can, and I don't understand that. But it, this is getting away from how do you select the right method. But I think it's more important is that you you look at the presenting problem in a in a clear way, and understand. The culture, the constraints, the purpose, you know, what's, why are we doing this? What's it for? How important is it? Then pick a sample size. Then say, hey, we need to do an accelerated test or we need to do modeling or we need to do a control chart or, you know, pick the method that has the right output to help you solve the problem versus just do the one that, oh, I have a chamber, we'll throw it in the chamber. I agree totally. It's basically responding to the situation, taking a step back, understanding what's really the context, and then asking the right questions. That's what that would be my <laughs> two oh, cents worth. Okay. <laughs> Sounds simple. And if you're listening to this, it should sound simple. Hopefully we 
we're coherent and presenting <laughs> this issue or problem and, and possible ideas around solving it. Um, but you know, how do you look at your when when it, somebody brings you a problem or or you identify an issue? Can you walk across the hall to the manufacturing team or or from manufacturing back to design, or can you talk to procurement? And, and bring up topics that, you know, what's the big picture here? How do we need to solve this? Or not, kind of hurdles do you run into? Let us know. Head over to ascentoverreliability.com slash go slash SOR. And Greg and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and through our about pages on the site. And we'd really like to hear from you. It often helps us to figure out what to talk about on here. And and hopefully it provides you some meaningful information. Um so anyway, Greg, uh, good talking <laughs> to you. Uh, I'm trying to figure out, I've got firewood to unload today from my truck. So I think that presenting <laughs> problem is just how do I lift efficiently so I don't hurt myself, but uh, I should handle it that. All right. <laughs> yeah. Or get Diane out there. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Greg. We'll talk to you again. Okay, Fred. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.